You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, we continue a, a new series called Why? Why do Christians? And uh, the premise behind it has been that uh, if you look in at certain practices from the outside, like the soccer players, they're always doing crazy things with their legs every single week. Whenever you see them on the news, there's all sorts of exercises that if you're looking in from the outside, the practices look let's be honest, ridiculous. And uh, you quite can't understand what they're doing with them, but uh, eventually what you'll see is that they're doing these practices so that they move to a point where these practices that they're doing in training, they naturally flow from who they are. As stupid and as ridiculous as they look, these drills have been so designed and so uh, set up for their nature that it, it turns them into the best players they could possibly be. Now, when we look at some of the various practices that Christians do, why do Christians sing? Uh, why do Christians give? Why do Christians eat bread and drink from juice during the service? Uh, why do Christians make friends with people that would never be part of their clique in the real world? Uh, why do Christians forgive people that everyone can see that person's clearly wrong? And why do Christians practice hospitality? These are all practices, right, that if you look in from the outside, look totally silly half the time. And so part of the aim of this series has been uh, one of two things. It means if you're a Christian tonight, it's a great opportunity for us to revisit some of those fundamental practices and to go back and to be training through these singing, giving, uh, communion, making friends, hospitality, uh, coming back to these practices in our life and doing the drills again so that they naturally flow from who we are. But most importantly uh, for us as Christians uh, and for those that are still checking out what Christianity is all about, it helps us explain why the heck we do these things. When friends say, for example, as we'll look at that tonight, why the heck do you give your money away to the church? then we can at least come up with an informed answer. In fact, I know that there is a couple in this church that went through the process of dealing with a financial planner. And when the financial planner went through all their finances, they said, look, everything looks in order. I've done some stuff here. But they said, there's one thing I can't understand. The amount of money that you give to this Northside Community Church, what is with that? If you, if, do you realise that if you just didn't give that, you could be doing so much more? And there was a great opportunity for them to witness to their financial planner and explain to them why do Christians give? Why are Christians like that? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's have a read from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 14 through to 17. Uh, set the picture quickly for you with the context. This is King David writing. This is King David on a fundraising exercise. This is King David fundraising to build the temple in Jerusalem, which uh, much of its foundation is still there when you look it up in Google Maps. It's called the Temple Mount. You can see it in all the famous pictures. It's the one with the big gold dome. So what he's fundraising for has not yet been built. It's still there today. And here he is going in, and a king, you know where kings rip people off. This is a king going in where he's fundraising, and he's about to ask the people of Israel for money in order to go in to build this temple. But he's already pledged, wait for it, some commentators say he's already pledged up to $40 billion in modern day terms of his own money to go into this thing. 40 bill, he's just written a check for 40 billion. This is what he says. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight as we were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Uh, have you ever seen those um, magic eye books back in the 90s? Uh, they were all the fat in the coffee tables, right? The magic eye books. They were these books that had these really weird patterns on them and you would open them up and they're supposed to be three-dimensional. Every time my friends or my sisters or my family would open up this magic eye book, they would look into it and it, they would be dazzled by these patterns on the page and I could never get it. And they would be going, it's amazing, it's a ship, it's pointing right out at me, it's a yacht, oh, it's so beautiful, it's, it's cool how it does, look how you turn Every time I looked, all I saw is this gobbledygook, jumbled bit of junk on the page. And they'd say to me, oh, you've just got to cross your eyes. You've to, you know how you had to do the tech. You had to cross your eyes. You've got to go cross-eyed. And I'd do it until I got a headache, need to take a few Panadol, and, and I could never seem to get it. Uh, what's this got to do with giving? Uh, we've got to... <laughs> We've got to recognise the magic eye principle is that uh, we all have differing perspectives or paradigms in the world. We all have ways, two different ways, two totally different ways that you can view the one thing. And so when it came to these particular books, on one hand, uh, for me, it was giving me a headache. On the other hand, for my sisters, when they were looking at it, there was joy, there was excitement, there was depth, there was nuance to exactly the same thing. And so let me spell it out here. When it comes to giving, there is an incredible range and a perspective. Uh, there are various paradigms that you can view giving, or more specifically, giving of your money, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. And, and on, one hand, on one hand, the Bible is um, far more positive about wealth creation and money than any of the financial books that you can buy in Dimmicks. Would that surprise you? Far, far more. We should know this because we've been through the work series, right? And the premise of the work series is that work is a good thing and it's given by God. And your wealth is given to you in order to tend the gardens around you and to flourish God's creation. And so in that sense, wealth creation and money is a good and a wonderful thing according to the Bible. But on the other hand, wealth or money uh, is an incredibly negative thing. The Bible is realistic in saying money has the potential to corrupt you and to deceive you and to, to decay the society around it. And, and, and essentially the Bible has a negative view of it and says in, in some ways money is a spiritual power. And so there are two totally different ways that you can view what we're going to talk about tonight. And here's how you know that you might have a lens issue. Here's how you might know that you've got a magic eye issue. Here's how you know if maybe you're Sam looking at, at, the, at the word of God when it comes to money a bit cross-eyed and it's not sticking out to you and it's not rich and it's not joyous. Here's, here's how you can know. If you're a non-Christian, you're like the wealth planner for our friends. You go, this is stupid that you would give your money away to the church. This makes no financial sense. But here's how you know that you've got a lens issue if you're a Christian as well. Whenever the pastor gets up to talk about money, you flinch. 
Or if you're visiting, you've come into church and you're going, man, of all the nights in all the churches in all the world, I had to walk into this one when he's going to talk about money. You get a sort of funny tingliness in your bottom, don't you? Oh, Oh, is he going to ask me to do something? When are the plates going to come around? That's how you know that you've got a a lens issue. See, why, why is it that we flinch? Why do we get the tingly bottom? The, foundation, the foundational issue is the lens that you're viewing money through. And that lens here, the foundational issue is, is money about stewardship or is it about ownership? That's where we're going to go tonight. That's how we're going to answer the question, why do Christians give of their money? The first thing and the first reason why Christians give their money is because they give because it's from God. It's the lick of the ice cream principle, right? Remember the, down at Manly Corso and at Royal Copenhagen, about half the congregation I'm having a humour right now because they're like, yeah, I know this one, Sam. Bear with us. There are people here that haven't heard this brilliance. <laughs> down there at Royal Copenhagen, uh, the ice cream shop in Manly, and there's this little girl in there with curls, cute little dress, and she's run straight up to the ice cream there. She's pushed her face against it. You can see the condensation from a hot little breath that she's worked out. Oh, am I going to have that one or that one? Oh, rum and raisin, I'd like that. Oh, no, I can't have that one, can I, Dad? Uh, <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. And, and just watching her, your mouth starts to salivate as she thinks, oh, I'm going to have sprinkles on top of it as well. And, and she's there and, and the lady scoops it out and she watches intently as the lady's scooping it all out. And, and then she eventually gets this big ice cream that seemed like it was half of her height. It was just bustling everywhere. And, and she's about to take a big bite of this thing. And that's the thing that got me. And she turned to her father and she said, Daddy, would you like a lick of my ice cream? This little girl got exactly what 1 Chronicles chapter 29 was all about. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously this as this? Because everything comes from you, Daddy, and we are only giving what has already come from your hand. You see, Christians give because I recognise that everything's come from God anyway. No matter how hard you work, everything is a gift from God. Now that, that, seems, that seems incongruous, right? Someone, some of you might already be arcing up thinking, hang on. You know, I, I work for my profession. I have two degrees, you know. I work for my job. I interviewed well. I practised. I bought the good suit. I, I role-played. I beat every other candidate in for the job. I worked for what I've got. My question is, who gave you the brain that you've got in the first place? In fact, let's go a little bit broader. Who who put you in a country in which you have the freedom to go and apply for whatever job you want to apply for? Who, who, Who gave you the school that you went to? Who gave you the upbringing that you had? Who gave you everything that you have to get... To that point. And here it comes, the old classic, two worms. I told you you're going to have to humour me. <laughs> two worms fall from the sky. One falls into a crack in the cement, the other falls into a dead cat. Five days later, the, the worm in the cement, malnourished, 
broken down on the verge of death, turns to the worm in the dead cat and he says, Dear sir, please, please tell me, what is the secret of your success? And the worm in the dead cat thinks about it for a little bit and he turns and says, "Mm, uh, Hard work and a sound strategic vision. You can tell the people that laughed haven't heard it before. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Guys, it's dead cat principle. We've, you and I, we know, surely we know as Northsiders by now, we've fallen into a dead cat. <laughs> we've, we've fallen into a dead cat. Our wealth is, is totally a consequence of our circumstance. I mean, if God placed you in the middle of an African desert tonight and you were hearing this message, I'm sure as heck know that you would view the whole perspective on wealth and your wealth from a totally different lens, right? You see, until the biblical perspective on money breaks in, that it's, who are we to give as generously as this is from you anyway, Dad? Until that breaks in on your life, it will always be, your giving will always be out of self-interest. It's my money, it's my resources, I worked hard for this, and yet David gets it after he put his money where his mouth was, $43 billion worth, and he says that Christians give because they recognise that their wealth ultimately doesn't come from them anyway. And I guess I've got to ask you, if you're a Christian tonight, how often, when if you're blessed enough, and let's be real, if you're blessed enough to receive that paycheck, whether it be weekly or you've billed it from the client, how often do you take that and think, Daddy, would you like a lick of my ice cream? Everything we have comes from him anyway. That's how Christians give, because firstly, it's from God. But secondly, Christians give because it's for God. Let's have a look at verse 8 which we didn't read from, it says here in verse 8 or verse 7, they gave towards the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. I think that's that's Hebrew for a lot of money. (laughs) Anyone who had precious stones, here it is, gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. They gave them to the treasury. Now, what is that? Look at what David's doing in the passage. He's he's fundraising a ridiculous sum of money here. Ridiculous sum of money. Uh, why? So they could buy a good building. Why? So they could, so they could get in and have a nice worship space. So, so they could have a new drum kit for worship. So there could be all sorts of nice mod cons in the temple. Um, look, it's, it's a yes and no. Fundamentally, yes, they were fundraising in order to staff the ministry, to pay the priest, to, to do the general operational hub of doing church. And that's first, firstly, that's a vital thing to do. It, it, it costs money to resource God's mission. And so, yes, they were doing that, but that was not the only reason why they were doing that. And here's why. It's because the temple was the institutionalised, poverty-breaking machine of the Jewish nation. I mean, there was no Centrelink back in those days. There's no Jewish Centrelink there over in Palestine. If people were hungry, if people were out of work, if people were in need, if people were sick, the temple funded the support. 
And so the temple was the visible manifestation of God's presence in the world and his mission into the world. And so in other words, not only was there wealth from God in the first place, but their wealth was for God, to do God's work. Now here's the principle. Your wealth that is given to you, your wealth, you were created to be a steward of that wealth. It's on loan. Although God may give you the power to earn money and some here are blessed to earn incredible money, uh, that's a loan. God has given you that. He's done that. He's entrusted with you that because the more money you have, we know the principles are the more influence you can have in the world. The resources, however big or small though, you need to understand are on loan tonight from God. And here's where the challenge is. Here's the challenge. Um, A couple of months back, my little brother calls me up a bit irate on the phone. And he's like, have you got my DVD player, bro? And I'm like, yes, mate, I've got your DVD player. Well, uh, well, well, what? Well, what? I've, I'm sending you an invoice for $165. I'm like, dude, no one watches DVDs anymore. It's not worth 165 bucks, <laughs> which then made him even more irate. Because <laughs> he goes, it's not the principal you, and I can't insert the words there because we have such a close relationship. But... Um, <laughs> It's not the principal, mate, he said. He said, I gave it to you on loan. It wasn't yours to take in the first place, and he wanted it back. And so he's saying, if you want to keep it, then you ought to to pay for it. Now, what happened there? Here, Look, here's the fine line. Here's the fine line. Here's a biblical principle out of DVD players. Self-interest. Self-interest will always move you from stewardship towards ownership. Self-interest will always do that. In fact, the Bible calls that sin. sin. Sin will always, when it comes to resources, move you from stewardship to ownership. It's a fine line to cross. There was a point in time in which my stewardship of the DVD player had transitioned to ownership. And I have repented of that sin and that's all okay. But look, here's, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Look, was the treasury a way for the church to skim a little bit off the top of this fundraising effort for themselves? Was it a way in order for these religious types to get a little bit of money tax-free and to hoard it all for themselves and to pay them a nice salary? Is that the aim of the treasury? No. Here's the thing. The principle of a treasury, investing in God's treasury is a tangible reminder for you today that you always will have the propensity to move from stewardship to ownership. That there will always be the force of sin and self-interest in your life that is going to want to take God's resource. And if you leave it long enough without a little bit of a reminder, without the funny blue buckets coming around every Sunday night, if you leave that long enough, then maybe just maybe like the DVD player, it will move from stewardship to ownership. That's why I love the practice of giving. It's, it's a reminder for us all. And so I've got to ask you, do you see yourself as a, as a steward of what, of what God has given you? Or are you treating God's possessions like my little bro's DVD player? <laughs> you know, I, I never intended to. The, the, the motivations were good. That, that might be your motivations tonight as well with your resources. There's good intentions in this, but, but we have a tendency to move that way. And so Christians give, not only because it's from God, but Christians give because they're excited at investing in the treasury in understanding that they're stewards of what God has given us. But here's the third reasons why Christians give. Christians give because they can. And you go, duh, of course they can. No, they can't. 
Well, you just said that they can. Well, I'm telling you that they can't. I'll get to it in a second. Christians can, but they can't. They, yeah, they can't. Christians can't give initially is what I mean to say for the time being. Let's have a look at what it says in Luke chapter 12. That's the parable of the rich fool, Jesus. He says in here, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, see, even Jesus talked cool back in the old days. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Watch out. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, there's a premise here. There's an assumption here. When he says, watch out, watch out for all types of greed, there's an assumption here. And the assumption is that greed is the sort of thing that is hidden from you. That it will deceive you, that it will fool you. Greed and materialism, says Jesus, by its very nature, hides itself from you. And that's why I've got to tell you to watch out for it. It's, it's hidden. And so, in other words, Jesus is saying, beware of money because money can cause a spiritual blindedness or a spiritual entrapment. Now, for example, I don't know any examples where Jesus says, for example, um, watch out for idolatry. Uh, watch out for adultery. Adultery is a, a, a classic one. You know, what, what, is he, does he not say, oh, watch out for adultery because, I don't know, adultery is less of a sin than greed? No, it's, it, let's be real and a little bit frank here. You know, no, no one gets into the middle of the act of, old, of, of adultery and, and gets halfway through and thinking, what, 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 how'd that happen? How, how the heck did that happen? What? Look, whoa, it's walking down the street and... Almost always, you know when you're committing adultery. <laughs> but it must mean you almost never know when you've moved into the sin of greed and materialism. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a blindedness because nobody who's greedy feels like they're greedy. Nobody who's materialistic feels like they're materialistic. That's probably one of the reasons why Jesus talks about greed 10 times more than he'll talk about sex. He's always saying, watch out for greed. He's not saying, watch out for sex. And that's because money causes a spiritual blindedness. Uh, here's, here's what I mean. There was a Harvard economist and, and she wrote this book called The Overspent American. And she gives these reasons why it's truer today that we don't see our own materialism. And the way that she describes it is, it's, I, I call it the, the Kardashian principle. Right? You know, today, whether you're a waiter on 18,000 or whether you're a teacher on 40,000 or whether you're someone in those big professions like finance on 400 and something thousand, uh, whether you're that, all of us now, are, we're no longer separated by the class as much anymore. Back in the old days, the waiters stayed with the waiters and the finance dudes stayed with the finance dude. They were called the aristocracy. Right? And, and they would not communicate with each other. But these days, we've got the Kardashians on every ad board and, and, and every TV screen and every advertisement and every fragrance. 
And so the challenge is today is that every person at every various sphere of society and level of earning is getting exactly the same message. And they're, they're constantly, and here's what it is, we're all constantly, whether you earn 18,000 or you earn 400,000, all of us are constantly being bombarded with messages and pictures of the intimate lives of people who are better off than us. That's the Kardashian principle. We spend hours watching the lives of people that are they're so much better off than I am, money-wise. And in fact, you know, what happens now because of our diverse cultures is that we, we're rubbing shoulders with people all the time, right, that are more and more better off than us. And, and so here's the dynamic. Here's what I'm getting at is that automatically you hang out with these people. And so nobody feels like they're spending too much money on themselves because there's always going to be someone else around you that you know is greedier than you. <laughs> are you with me? This is where we start to get a tingly bottom. There's always someone that you know who is greedier. There's always someone who's better off. And yet we go, there has to be greed. If I know the word of God and I know the truth of the word, I know that there has to be this blindness of greed in my life. But is it really applicable to me? Now, let me be even more real here for us. Let me ground this a little bit more for us tonight. We live here at Northside. We live in a community where within a five-kilometre radius of this pulpit, there are seven of the ten most expensive suburbs in Australia. And I guess my question to all of us, myself included tonight, my, my question is, if Jesus is saying, watch out, could it be possible that that rubs off on us? Could it be possible the cafes and the cars and the houses and the clothes rub off on us. And so there are always people around us who look better off than we are and are greedier than we are as Christians. And so greed's not a problem. Jesus says, watch out. He says, watch out. He says, what happens in our society? And the challenge for you and I is it's, it's like when you've gone out to, to look at the wonderful, beautiful stars of the universe and then some idiot shines a torch in your eyes. You're blind. You're not, you're not legally blind, but you're, you're alive blind. You know, you're, you're, your eyes are still working, but they're, they're not working. <laughs> and you, you can't see the wonder and the beauty and the detail of God's wonderful universe. And so Jesus says, let me be real, living next to Mossman and Balmoral, all these sorts of places, it's a, it's a torch that stares right in our face. And it's a great opportunity for us tonight, guys. To say, is there the possibility of greed in my life? Jesus says, watch out. And so he, here's his antidote for this. This is how he sort of gets his scene clear again. He comes armed. He says, you've got to come armed with a handful of various questions each and every week. Here they are up on the screens. Questions like, do I have good resources, but use them to continue a lifestyle at the upper limit of what I can afford? Do I have a fear of losing, uh, does a fear of losing my lifestyle prevent me from being generous? Do, do I compare myself with those who have either the same or greater standard of living than me? And do I ever consider that how I could simplify my lifestyle to free up resources to invest in God's kingdom? Even I'm starting to tingle. <laughs> no, I'm going I'm to leave that with you.
to process this week. In fact, it's in our Connect studies as part of group this week. You need to do some time with God. I need to do some time with God on that. You see, how you answer those questions is going to give you a sense of whether there's a blindedness. It's going to help you and I come out from underneath with that. And we think, wow, all right, where do we go from here? You know, there's, the, there's, the biblical, there's the biblical idea, you know, 43 billion. And the, the response is, how, who am I to be as generous as this? <laughs> I look at this and go, how utterly ridiculous that someone could be so joyful and, and so over the moon at losing so much money. Uh, I've got to be real with you. I think this standard is just almost near impossible to achieve. I'm going to give you two steps as we finish up tonight as to how we might be able to achieve it together. Two steps, one's um, practical, one's spiritual, uh, one's external, one's internal. Here's, uh, are you ready for the, the practical one? The practical one. Uh, the practical one is you've got to get some skin in the game. You've heard me say that before. You've got to get skin in the game. I'm using a financial term here. You know, Warren Buffett coined the phrase, he said, it's a situation in which high-ranking insiders use their own money to buy stock in the company they're running. The idea behind creating this situation is to ensure that corporations are managed by like-minded individuals who share a stake in the company. Executives can talk all they want, but the best vote of confidence is putting one's own money on the line just like the outside investors. And so quite simply, money is one of the places that Jesus says where your action actually dictates your intentions. You actually don't become generous by walking out of this place tonight and saying, you know what, that was, a, that was a reasonably inspiring sermon tonight. I think I'm going to be generous. In fact, I intend to be generous. It's not going to work. Jesus says where your treasure is, your what? Your heart will be also. It's the one and only time in which the biblical principle is turned on its head and it says your actions dictate your intentions. You've got to have skin in the game. And it might be a poignant moment tonight if you're part of our family, if you're a member here. The question is, are you one of these executives? Are you a like-minded individual with us? Are you standing alongside the rest of us that want to see Northside become the sort of place that is just like the social centre link that the temple was, that want to see this place as an outpouring of justice and of mercy and of blessing of God's resources in our community around us? We're the sort of people that want to see that as we invest into the community through God's church. My question is, have you got skin in the game? That's the internal, that's the external. Normally I'm always preaching the other way around. I say, get the internal stuff right and it should overflow. Forget that stuff for tonight. Just a little bit of external conformity in this case is going to go a long way. Here's, uh, here's the internal one though. You see, I preach about this all the time. Everyone at the centre of themselves has a treasury. Everyone's got a treasury. Everyone's got something that you treasure. You know, what does a treasure mean? It's to, we talked about it last week in worship, to look at something and to fill your heart with it and to so adore it and to be so fixed upon it that you elevate it to a place of ultimate worth. Isn't that what Lisa said tonight during worship? All of us have an object like that. All of us have a treasure like that. Even Gollum had a treasure like that, didn't he? You want to do it with me? My precious. Oh, we're so interactive tonight. It's fantastic. <laughs> Everyone has their precious. And what you, what you do with that, whatever it is, you're enslaved to it and you will do whatever it takes to have it and to protect it. 
And if you push someone hard enough for their treasure like Gollum, they'll snap at you and they'll die for it eventually. But the Bible says every treasure, but Jesus, if you insist you have it, you'll die for it. And yet in Jesus himself, he's the one treasure who died to purchase you. How do we we break free from this blindness of money? Look, how, how do we do this? We think about what he did with his treasure. He was ultimately rich. $43 $43 billion in Jesus' terms means nothing universally. He was, he was ultimately rich. And, and, and Philippians 2 says, uh, yeah, but, but for our sake, he made himself poor. He, he leaves all of that behind in order to what? Incarnation. You know what incarnation is? Literally getting some skin in the game. He, get, he, he, comes, he comes down to earth. He, he lives a life of poverty. He lives in the dirt and the dust and, and, he, and he goes to the cross. Why does he do this? Look, he, we, we learn this. Everyone's got a treasury. Even Jesus had a treasury. Jesus had something for which he would die for that was his precious. Even Jesus had something. If you push him hard enough, he would snap for his precious. You know what that precious was? Isaiah 53, it says, When he saw the results of his suffering, he was satisfied. 1 Peter 2 verse 19 says, You are God's purchased possession. You are God's precious. We recognize that in Jesus, he had a treasury and that treasure was you. Until you realize that you yourself are God's treasure, the one with infinite wealth and resources, only then are you going to start being freed to begin to invest progressively more and more and more parts of your money. Why do Christians give? Not because, not because we have to, not because Sam's put on some guilt trip, but because in the work and the person of Jesus Christ, we look at his incredible work and it's because we want to. Ultimately, Christians give because it's all from God, because we're stewards of his money, we're freed because we can, we're freed from the blindness of it all, but most of all, Christians give because we want to. Let's pray.